Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, at whatever time you may be watching this. Uh, my name is Jim St. Clair, and I'm thrilled to be able to be here as part of this conference today, introduce my two colleagues, and have a meaningful conversation on the topic of uh, COVID credentials, health passports, uh, where they are, and of course, their relationship to healthcare and blockchain. Uh, I am the uh, uh, executive director of uh, Linux Foundation Public Health. Uh, and have been active in the areas of healthcare and blockchain for several years. And I'm thrilled to be joined by uh, two colleagues and foremost experts on the topic, Marie Wallace from IBM and Drummond Reed from Evernim. I'm gonna take a minute to introduce each of them and then we'll get into uh, you know, some more discussion uh, specifically around this concept of credentials and, uh, and COVID passports and its relationship to healthcare and blockchain. Uh, first of all, Marie Wallace is a, a senior architect at IBM Watson Health. Many of you may be familiar with the tremendous accomplishments that IBM Watson Health has made in healthcare in general, as well as many of their significant contributions specifically around blockchain, both in healthcare and in other industries. Uh, Drummond is the chief trust officer for Evernim. Uh, Evernim is a, uh, a major service provider in the areas of decentralized identity solutions, and it cannot be overstated how much Drummond has had an influence over the last 20 years on the underlying concepts for decentralized identity and the applications of blockchain in that area. And we'll spend a few more minutes on that as well. Um, Marie, Drummond, welcome and thank you very much for your participation today. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Great to be here, Jim. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, let's kind of introduce and set the scene. We're talking about this idea of health passports and COVID credentials, and we're relating it to the topic of blockchain and healthcare. Uh, in this particular discussion, and I know you've already seen some really good discussions so far about blockchain, decentralized ledgers, decentralized technology being applied to other healthcare processes. Here, we're focusing around the aspects of how to manage critical information for uh, attesting to your COVID status, your vaccination status, while at the same time enforcing the principles of privacy uh, and, and consent to share your information that many of you may be familiar with in other blockchain type applications. In particular, we're referring to something here called self-sovereign identity or decentralized identity. Self-sovereign identity is as much a philosophy as it is an architecture, and it, and it believes in the concepts that the individual has the sovereignty, the control over their identity and aspects of their identity at all times and set up sharing models for how their identity is used uh, for different points of verification. Uh, of course, I'm sure everyone's familiar with showing your ID card when you go into a bar uh, and having to disclose PII, um, uh, personal identifiable information. Uh, moreover, we have to deal every day with you know, logging in with Facebook or logging in with Google, which serve as, as really centralized management authorities for your identity. In moving into this world of decentralized identity, uh, you're empowered with technical capability to manage attributes of your identity and the underlying controls behind that, um, certainly the most mature underlying control frameworks are built around uh, um, uh, decentralized identity using blockchain scenario, uh, blockchain technology. Uh, specifically to healthcare, uh, there are several companies, several initiatives and, and several programs that are looking for how decentralized identity helps put you in charge of your electronic health data and then be able to manage privacy and consent to share that data. 
And obviously for today's discussion, we're focused on the very hot topic concerning vaccination passports, COVID credentials, and the like. And I'd like to turn it over to Drummond for just a minute. Drummond, you and I, of course, are very active, as well as Marie, uh, in the Trust Over IP Foundation. Could you speak just a couple minutes at a very high level around Trust Over IP and the framework there, and then we can steer it into COVID credentials? Sure, Jim. <clears throat> the Trust Over IP uh, Foundation started about 18 months ago, um, and uh, um, uh, IBM was a founding member. Uh, there were, I think, 27 organizations when we started. Uh, we've now got 10 times that number of, of members. That's how strong the interest is in um, uh, decentralized identity, what we call decentralized digital trust infrastructure. And uh, it's built around a concept we call the trust over IP stack, uh, which is is really you know fairly fairly straightforward to describe. It's a four-layer stack of the uh, of, of the of the protocols needed to have uh, very uh, strongly cryptographically verifiable uh, digital credentials that we can use for every aspect of establishing trust online. Um, and and Jim, you use the term self-sovereign identity. That's that's used a lot within the space. That tends to make it sound like you're talking about identity for people. Absolutely, we're talking about identity for people, but with trust over IP and the and 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 this stack, we're talking about decentralized digital trust infrastructure for everything you need to inter interact with. So it's absolutely identity and credentials for organizations, and 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 departments and everything within an organization, but also for digital things of all kinds, um, IoT devices, medical devices, but also digital twins of um, you know. Anything else that needs to be, uh, you know, tracked and 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 have uh, 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 verifiable attributes about it, such as as, as products and services. Um, so so all of this, of course, when you're talking about sensitive um, uh, data involving individuals or or their you know their their medical history or the the healthcare providers, uh, the doctors and hospitals, all the information that's flowing through their systems. If you want to have that information all to be cryptographically verifiable, to have it uh, so the provenance of the data can be uh, can be tracked, and the rights of the data can be very clear wherever it is, that's what we're building the stack for. It is layer one is what we call cryptographic public utilities uh, blockchains. We'll probably talk about several examples. IBM's been you know uh, building one. Marie can tell you about uh, 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 that. Uh, the second layer is the uh, digital wallets and what we call the agents that work with those digital wallets, whether they're all the way out in a mobile device or they're in the cloud, but the digital wallets that store the keys needed to, to uh, cryptographically digitally sign uh, the messages and the data being exchanged. The third layer is, is, is where we have the digital credentials, what we call the trust triangle of issuers of digital credentials holders uh, in, the, in the wallets, just like we hold uh, you know, physical credentials in our, in our wallets here like this. And, uh, and then what we call the verifiers that make requests of, can you prove the following information from a digital wallet? Um, that that you know, bar uh, scene that you talked about, uh, with a digital credential, uh, you would literally like scan a barcode with your phone entering a bar. And the only information you'd need to prove is that you're over the legal drinking age in that, uh, in, you know, in that uh, state or, or, or jurisdiction. And that's all that they would need to know and all that they would find out. 
And of course, it'd be a very, very fast and very, very highly uh, uh, secure uh, process. And uh, and the fourth layer is what we call the application layer, and 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 where you can build entire uh, digital trust ecosystems based on verifiable credentials exchanged between all of the uh, participants, um, and that's where we're seeing a lot of of, of, of focus. And uh, I know we'll talk more, Jim, about the whole digital trust ecosystem project we did around the Good Health Pass. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's a fantastic overview, and and I think it. Uh, one of the things that resonated with me is if you look in the context of HIPAA, the Health Information Portability and Accountability Act, I think what you're really suggesting, Drummond, is the ability to assign those principles of privacy and consent sharing with health data, no matter where it may be in the organization. And especially you mentioned provenance, how that provenance can be back associated again with the patient who owns that data and, and, and for whom that data is reflecting. Absolutely. The, the last point I should make about the Trust OMP stack is, yes, it's four layers, uh, you know, classic protocol stack for technology. And the other half of the stack is governance. How do you have an associated governance framework for being able to trust the technology and the participants you're dealing with at each of the four layers? Um, and when we talk about utility governance at layer one, a, a wallet and agent uh, governance frameworks for, for, for certifying you know, wallets and agents at layer two, credential governance frameworks, just like the governance frameworks that cover uh, the credit cards that we ever do on the MasterCard and Visa networks. And then layer four, ecosystem governance frameworks. And that's where we really get to things like COVID credentials. Uh, as you know, there's an entire initiative called the COVID Credentials Initiative as part of Linux Foundation Public Health. And that, uh, that started literally about, about 30 days after the, the COVID uh, uh, crisis hit. Um, the, the, the decentralized identity community and SSI community said, we're gonna need credentials to, to work our way out of this. And so that's where CCI started, eventually went to LFPH and has been a major part of the work on, uh, on Good Health Pass. Absolutely. And I'm thrilled to work with them. With that uh, being said, uh, Marie, you've been a tremendous contributor with CCI uh, in LFPH and in Trust Over IP Foundation. Uh, I'd love to turn to you now and talk about specifically your applications in IBM and, uh, and what you're working on with COVID credentials. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I, I'm actually coming from a data science background. So I've been about 20 years building AI solutions. And um, and specifically focused on personal analytics, uh, recommendation systems, you know, health health analytics, things like that. And, and one of the things that's been really frustrating for somebody, and anybody who's a data scientist will recognize this, is people say there's loads of data, but actually it's really, really hard to get access to good quality, reliable, trusted data, and specifically data for an individual. So if, for example, I might be somebody who's got specific health, um, health um, you know, issues, um, I want to be able to leverage all of my data in order to, to maybe understand how I can um, have, live a healthier life, how I can, you know, lo have longevity. So there's a lot of analytics that we want to be able to do. And it relies on an individual being able to provide that data that might be in multiple different places. So, so right now, there's always been this belief that the, 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 self, the data supply chain as it currently stands is basically coordinated by large entities, large companies, these data aggregators that might be social media companies, it might be, you know, EMR vendors, it might be, it, it's, you know, large companies that have lots and lots of data. And it's not always easy for the individual to get access to all the data about themselves. So um, that was what really attracted me to this whole idea of self-sovereign identity, decentralized identity, because it completely flipped everything on its head. It basically said, let's create a data supply chain where the person is at the center. 
And, um, and this is something we at IBM have been hugely um, interested in for quite a while because of the privacy preserving um, aspects of that and the, and the control from the individual. And then what happened is um, COVID came along and all of a sudden anybody who's been in the space will know everybody started to recognize that, oh my God, we're going to have to do something around decentralization because centralized systems are not going to work. Centralization of health data might work when the only people that need health data are other health entities. So one hospital needs to share information with another hospital. You can maybe do that through these large, you know, uh, traditional health data exchange models. But if you have a scenario where you have a restaurant needs to get access to your health data or an airline or at a stadium or an employer, you know, you've got these, you know, pot potentially thousands of entities that want to basically access health data. You do not want all of those pummeling health institutions to try and get access to health data and then try and track consent. So this is where the person has to be at the center. And that's really what we've done with IBM Digital Health Pass. So IBM, you know, working with our colleagues in Trust Over IP and, and its foundation, and we've been, you know, working through these ideas and we've built something called the IBM Digital Health Pass, which is built on this fundamental idea that um, when somebody um, gets a vaccination or they get a test or they, they get, have any health data, that they basically can have that data on their device, in their hand, as a verifiable piece of data that they can share with a third party and that third party can trust that the data is valid it hasn't been tampered with so if i want to tell my employer or i want to tell a restaurant or i would tell an airline i'm fully vaccinated they don't have to go back to the healthcare institution where i got the vaccine they can trust from the credential i'm sharing with them um, that i am indeed vaccinated and um, so this has been really really important i think in the covid crisis because what it started to do is allow I hope it started to allow individuals to be, feel comfortable with holding their own data, feel comfortable with being able to share it in a very controlled fashion, minimize the amount of personal information that's exchanged. And then it also helps companies who don't want to be dealing with health data. They don't want to be storing loads of health data. So it also helps them be able to, you know, meet regulatory requirements around, you know, making sure people are vaccinated before they come back to work without them having to become big health healthcare data uh, stores, which is what they don't want. So that's really what we've tried to do with IBM Digital Health Pass to try to make this this healthcare data exchange much more equitable and much more uh, patient centric and, and easier and more reliable. So that's really what we've been building. In IBM. Fantastic. I want to in on two things that you mentioned. Um, number one, the idea that you can trust the data I'm giving you. Again, that concept of provenance that Drummond was referring to, that this data is cryptographically verifiable. And at the same time, the second concept that I control the data that I'm sharing. So you have both the ability to enforce your privacy and consent, while at the same time, when you do share data and maybe only one element of data, like, yes, I've had a vaccine or no, I haven't, and uh, no other details beyond that, it's in a method that can be trusted cryptographically and verifiably. Um, you know, Drummond, in, in, in thinking about that concept, that relates to what I've read before about privacy by design. And I know you've spent time with uh, Dr. Ann Kabuki in talking about it. Could you give just some highlights of privacy by design and how that kind of fits into this concepts of, of control and sharing for data? Uh, I'd love to. It's one of my favorite topics in the whole space. Um, <clears throat> one thing I'd like to point out is that Dr. Kavukian, uh, who still is working on privacy by design since she, you know, over the... 20 years after she uh, created it. Um, th there's a wonderful example. Th these, when we use these to share information about our identity, they're, they actually wonderfully in incorporate many things, aspects of, of, of the elements of privacy by design. Um, 
first of all, I'm at the center. I, I only put credentials in this wallet that I agree to put in here that I qualify for. And then I make the decision about when I share it uh, with, with someplace else. Um, I keep this information with me. I protect it. Um, it doesn't, it's, it's you know, uh, I, I, I'm the one who, who gates access to it. Um, and, and so I'm confident that it, it, it remains confidential and in my possession. Um, what we are doing with, you know, decentralized identity and self-sovereign identity is we're saying, okay, that's wonderful, but it's all, I can't share that online. I can't do that remotely. I can't prove to someone. I can't do a video conference and, you know, show this. So I need to be able to do it with a digital device. Um, and, and that's what requires, you know, the, and as soon as you put the data into a digital form, it becomes, uh, as, as with all other things, uh, digital, you know, it's it, anytime you share it, you're sharing a complete copy of it instantly. It'd be like every time I showed a driver's license, the uh, the bar was taking uh, not just a, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a copy of it. And I've had, you've probably seen that before. They want us to stick in the copy machine. I don't allow any bar to do that. But imagine if they actually got a direct copy of your of your credential that just one of the bar, you know, the, the bouncer's hand, right? That's what we can't have with digital credentials. They need to be digitally signed by the issuer of the credential, but then bound to you as an individual. And then you're the one that needs to be able to control when a, what we call a verifier is ask, asking for information. They need to prove whether as reset it, and you said it's like it is uh, a credential, even though I was issued a driving license, for instance, a digital driver's license, I might want to use it to prove my age and only share that one piece of information. Someplace else, I need to I need to prove my address, and I only want to show that information. And then, you know, if I'm uh, stopped at a traffic stop, I need to be able to prove my driver's license and share everything. Um, that control over it, and 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 building that into the technology, so that my digital wallet is is uh, smart enough to be able to do it, um, and and basically turns into a tool for constantly helping me protect my privacy. That's an extraordinary opportunity. And I like to, to share that uh, when we sat down a few months ago, Anna and I were on a panel together and she said, Drummond, I wanna learn a lot more about this. I had, I had three follow-up sessions with her by the end of which she said, this is how we're gonna do privacy by design at internet scale. And, uh, and that's why I'm so enthusiastic about the use of, of the technology in healthcare because Jim, as you know, it's, It'll be, it's HIPAA compliant, it's GDPR compliant. In fact, it, it, it solves problems that, uh, you know, for instance, the right of erasure. How do they know it's you when you're wanting to ask for data to be erased? With this technology, you can actually digitally sign the request to say, yep, you knew it was me. I signed the data to begin with, and now here I am saying, this is what I want, uh, um, you know, erased. So, uh, so I, we're very enthusiastic about what it can do to revive privacy uh, on the internet and certainly in healthcare. That's fantastic. And uh, just to kind of reemphasize that then the, uh, you know, the underlying technology for being able to facilitate that architecture is blockchain. And, and I think, uh, Marie, I think that you're familiar with the blockchain side from IBM. Obviously, uh, Drummond and I have worked a bit with the Hyperledger Foundation and, and other organizations for that uh, promote blockchain standards. Could you comment a bit just on, on the I, IBM architecture and how you leverage your expertise in blockchain for that solution? Yeah, so, so, so what, we, what we fundamentally did is we, while we adopted the, the basic principles and the design, the philosophy and the architecture of trust over IP, um, we, and IBM, obviously we have Hyperledger Fabric, 
and um, and we we use this for a lot of enterprise use cases. So it kind of made a lot of sense for us to basically leverage Hyperledger Fabric. So instead of using Hyperledger Indy as an example, um, but what we wanted to do was to ensure that it can participate in the identity ecosystem the same as any other ledger. So so what we've been doing over the last uh, year or so is we've been um, adding some some capabilities like you know the the, the universal did resolution for example. Um, to Hyperledger Fabric, we've we've um, you know released our our did resolver for the IBM Digital Health Pass and the ledger that we're um, we're standing up for all the credentials that our ecosystem issues. Um, so so we 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 very much believe that um, there's not going to be one single ledger, and in fact we we work with a number of different partners who are using multiple different ledgers and ledger technologies. I think it's to to the to the point John made earlier, it's about these layers of of the network. Um, there's never going to be a single ledger underneath, but what we want to try to do is make sure that we're interoperable across the ledgers. And that's kind of what our position has really been. We want to ensure that we're as interoperable as possible, and not just with multiple ledgers, but but also maybe non-blockchain technology. So so for example, you know, there there are, you know, there are self-sovereign um, um solutions out there that maybe don't necessarily leverage blockchain under the covers. And from our standpoint, we want to be interoperable with everybody. So I think really it's a it's a case of to me the most important thing on a personal level is have the right philosophy to jump sorry about you know privacy but by design there's a there's a fundamental philosophy around decentralized identity and an architecture and sometimes i hear people talk about it and they, they use the word but the architecture is completely different so I, I think for us it's it's a first and foremost understanding how this is supposed to work the self-sovereign nature of it and that you know no pii is on the blockchain as an example is one of the basic premises those are the fundamental things that have to always happen and then then exactly what type of blockchain technology you use is, is, a, is a personal choice um, fantastic well said and i'd like to go back uh, and focus a minute more on that topic of governance that high le the, the highest level of the toip framework that uh, the drummond was talking about Obviously, when we're getting into this discussion around COVID credentials, governance is a huge issue. And, and to your point about philosophy, again, being in a travel environment, trying to manage worldwide travel and travel requirements, understanding proof of health as being part of that, but not wanting to share health data with your travel agent or with your airline, and of course, your airline not wanting your personal health data. So building a governance framework that helps control that and leverage the technology that uh, that both of you and I have been talking about and the principles of blockchain there, you know, in CCI and obviously together in our work in the Good Health Pass Collaborative, you, you know, Marie, I would love to get your perspective a bit from sitting in Dublin on, on how the EU is working with this. And of course, then we can talk a bit about uh, Drummond and Evernim and IATA and their perspective internationally too. Uh, you've been very active, Marie, in the EU with some of these conversations and how to work with this data. Anything you, you would share on that topic would be great. Yeah, so so I, I guess, um, so what I would say, so so Europe, um, um, it's, it's, you know, we were maybe a bit slow to, to, to get moving, but I actually, I'm really, I'm really impressed and, and, and proud of what we've been able to do in Europe, because I think one of the things that has been fairly impressive is um, one is as an entire block, the entire block is consolidated around um, a certain set of specifications for how, how credentials are going to be generated, what they're going to look like, what information is going to be contained within them. Every member state needs to obviously has its own regulations and every country is slightly different in terms of from a, from a jurisdictional standpoint, what they, what they do and do not you know, put in there or what they allow, how they allow to be used. But I think fundamentally, I think the advantage that Europe has had 
is that at least all the countries in, in Europe are sharing a common specification for how the data is, is, is um, structured and what data is put in there. And then um, with the EU gateway, um, what they've put in place is at least a synchronization mechanism. So every member state can contain their own, can contain their own trust registry and, and at least there's a synchronization mechanism for, for the different member states via the, the EU gateway. Um, I think the, and, and this is where I, I, I'll hand over to Jonathan in a second, because I think the interesting challenge is, so, so while the EU has done a really good job of it, its, its, its boundaries, you know, the, the EU as a region, um, what we have is we really have this need to be able to not just look at Europe, but look at the whole globe. So mm -hmm. in the United States, as an example, it's a little bit less, um, uh, you know, there's not no kind of universal agreement. I think, you know, a lot of states use smart health cards. You've got others using other formats. Um, but at least I think that the challenge I see we have right now in Europe is in Europe we're doing really well. We can travel easily within the states. It's very easy to verify. You know, we all carry our, our digital certificates around with us all the time. We we just got used to it. You go to a restaurant, you swipe your card and off you go and you have a nice dinner and you come back out again. So we kind of gotten used to it. I think the interesting challenge is if you look at a lot of European countries, if I'm, if I'm Irish, I can go and I can eat out in the Irish restaurants. If I'm an American tourist coming to Ireland, I can't necessarily easily eat out because I don't have proof of vaccination. So I do think we really have a big challenge that needs to be addressed, which is how can we allow people to move flexibly across borders? Um, that's not just from the US to Europe, but obviously Asia, Africa, the UK and, and different places. What we have seen is and the EU, because they've released their specification, and some actually non-EU countries are actually starting to adopt it. But we still then, even if they adopt the specification, that doesn't mean they're in the EU gateway. So they still have a trust, trust registry challenge. Mm. So I think the whole issue of a network of trust registries is actually fundamentally critical that we get this addressed sooner rather than later, if we really want to allow credentialing to be a global um, phenomenon as opposed to just something constricted to a specific region. Yeah, absolutely. And Drummond, uh, I know that Evernim is very active in supporting the International Air Transport Association, IATA, with their implementation. Could you comment as well, too, on some of these principles of trust registry and things that Marie was, was speaking to? I, it's, it, you know, it's, it's funny. It's the directly complementary part of it. With IATA, <clears throat> who serves, you know, the entire airline industry, it is the, the organization of the airlines, uh, they recognized very early on with 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 uh, the COVID crisis that uh, in order to reopen uh, international air travel, they would have to have a solution for what they call the IATA travel pass, um, and and it goes directly to the problem that Maria highlighted, which uh, is how do we uh, if you're going to travel to another country, how do you prove that you have the um, uh, proof of your COVID health status that that country requires and that particular itinerary requires, you know, if you're passing through several uh, countries. So I had, had to tackle the problem from the standpoint of, okay, what digital credential, uh, you know, technology and standards do we need to do that? And, uh, and, and how do we uh, design it to cross those, um, uh, those boundaries, right? Um, and uh, they've been uh, uh, very involved in discussions with the EU, for instance, because uh, as Marie just said, and I just had a, a, another a conversation with the head of architecture um, earlier this week, the EU has been the easiest thing for, for them to deal with because the EU basically standardized it within the member nations. 
Um, the challenge is, okay, all the other countries in the world and the fact that very few others have standardized it in that way. As Marie said, some others are copying the EU because they're saying, oh, that's working. Um, the, the overall solution that they ended up requiring uh, is, is to say, all right, we need to take in these different health certificate formats that the governments are, are uh, getting behind and standardizing you know, in their countries or across the EU. Uh, but we then need to, for interoperability and data minimization, we need to be able to verify those and then turn around and issue what they call an IATA travel pass. And that is another digital credential, but it's already data minimized down to just what does an airline need to know or the airlines on your itinerary. And, and then it's in, you know, it, it is a it's, a, it's a mobile app so that uh, at any point in, in that itinerary or junction, uh, you would see a QR code, you'd scan it. It would ask you, will you share your travel pass information with this airline? You just, you know, you, you give consent and uh, that, that's all that's involved. And, and the airlines are getting only the information they need, but because it's going through the IATA um, um, uh, <clears throat> a trust framework, governance framework, they know that it is, uh, you know, the information that, that meets their requirements. Um, and so <clears throat> they, to highlight the same problem Marie did, um, IETA, to make that works, operates their own trust registry. Uh, and that term, when you hear the term trust registry, what it means is the issuers of the credentials are registered uh, with the trust registry so that when the holder of the credential presents it to a verifier, the verifiers, they can verify the digital signature based on the information. They, they basically look up the public key on, on a blockchain. But how do they know that issuer is authorized? How do they know it's a, a lab that actually is supposed to issue uh, credentials here in Washington State, uh, where I live in the, in the United States? That's what the trust registry does, is the issuers are registered in the trust registry and, and software that the verifiers running can quickly check and go, is this identifier for this issuer actually authorized to issue that type of credential? Um, as Marie said, there's a... a uh, we did the work at the Good Health Pass Collaborative to say this is how it needs to work on an interoperable basis. And now, Jim, the, the, as you know, at Linux Foundation Public Health, uh, they've started the global credential, um, uh, COVID credential uh, network yep. Yep. to provide a directory of trust registries so that the software can now start to uh, be interoperable on a global basis. And I know Marie's quite active in the GCCN effort as well. Fantastic. Great overview from you both. And I want to thank you again personally for, for the discussions today and, and highlighting this important area. I'll pass it back for 30 seconds and final thoughts, perhaps what excites you the most for, uh, for next steps or where we're going into 2022. Marie? Um, so so I, I, for me, I'm excited about you know, what, what's next because um, obviously once people are empowered with their own data, they can have it on their device, they can share it and they can share it in a trusted data minimizing way. What, what else can they do with their data? So, you know, is, is there other ways that, for example, you know, uh, you know, like digital prescriptions and making sure, you know, you know, you don't end up taking a drug that you've an allergy against or that there's negative drug interactions or I mean, just imagine if whenever you're, you know, filling out prescriptions or getting a prescription, you're checking dynamically with your health record in order to ensure that that's not going to give you a negative reaction. I mean, just there's, there's an infinite number of ways we can make data work for people if people can feel free to leverage their data. And that's what I'm most excited about. Fantastic. Drummond, your thoughts? Uh, you know, 
I'm super bullish on the future for digital credentials um, and uh, uh, decentralized uh, digital trust infrastructure. Um, when it comes to healthcare, I am, I, you know, maybe the most, the thing I'm most excited about is what Maria is talking about. When you actually make the patient the, um, uh, the, the point of integration, the hub of integration of their data, and you make it as simple as it's, it's, it's just like using a, a wallet. Um, and so you've got a smart agent there that is working on their behalf. And we didn't even get into maybe even accessing uh, AI that's working on their behalf, right? You think about uh, uh, Watson. Imagine Watson working for me on yeah. my health information and all, you know, what, what I just ate in the last, you know, uh, uh, it would, it's, it's really going to be, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, enable leaps forward in, in, in healthcare, uh, you know, for, for, for the planet and, uh, and, and to be able to be, you know, pl putting together the plumbing for that. Um, I mean, that's what gets me up every day. Absolutely. And I agree with both of you. It's a great way to leave the audience wanting a little bit more for the next discussion that we have on this. Drummond Marie, again, as my friends, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for a fantastic presentation. And for everyone attending Converge to Accelerate, I hope you enjoy the other sessions as well. Thank you very much and look forward to talking to you. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye. you, Jim.